From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. And there is something hypnotic to watching that print head go and do that same motion over and over and over again. It's, it's so smooth the way it works. So that's where we like to start is introducing, you know, what is the filament? How does it work? How does the, the print head heat it up and the extrusion process? And then we get into the actual software. And we, we kind of leave the machines behind after that because that's, it's, the machines are simply a tool. That was John Sorvillo. John is a licensed elementary school teacher who has been in educational administration for nearly a decade. At the Westwood Prep Academy, the students are in residential care, most under court custody with no familial provisions. As a director of the academy, Sorvillo builds programs, teachers, and councils with the goal of inspiring hope through education. Initially, the academy had only one 3D printer, but it struggled to incorporate it into its instructional lessons. With John's efforts, it now has four printers that function as conduits for experiencing life skills, such as teamwork, acquiring technology skills, such as CAD design, and gaining soft skills needed to function in society. He joins the show today to talk about his 3D printing program and how it's played a huge role in creating inspiration and his novel ways of showing at-risk kids a whole new way of learning. Before we get started, head over to 3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Well, John, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, You have an amazing story. I'm excited to have you share it with the audience. And you and I met at AMUG a few weeks ago now. Um, You were one of the educators uh, recognized for the AMUG scholarship. And uh, you told a version of your story or a part of your story on stage for the entire group. Um, do you want to just start um, maybe at the beginning, kind of what got you into 3D printing? And then we can kind of get into what you're doing now with, with your education and, and the kids. Yeah. Even how I ended up at AMUG is, is kind of an interesting story. Um, I had applied in 2020 just randomly. I, we, I was Googling scholarships and grants and anything, and I came across the, the Randy Stevens scholarship. So I was like, ah, you know what, let me apply for it. Um, and as I was working on my, my entry, I started to realize, wow, you know, we're barely scratching the surface of what we can do with these printers. Um, and the way we ended up with printers, I'm sure, is a lot similar to how many other schools did. We got a grant and we needed to spend money. So we bought 3D printers and we had no idea what we were getting into. We didn't know we didn't really understand that the printers were the end product and the software that goes into it and the, the design process is really where the education and the magic happens. And then the printer just kind of brings it all into, into life. So I, I did not win in 2020 and I, I was, I'm a very competitive guy. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to take another swing at this, but I know I need to grow this program. Um, and through just a, a, a random series of events, we, we started touching to the thera- therapeutic angle of 3d printing and the way that even came about was just it was sheer frustration because we had bought all this equipment we didn't know how to use it we didn't know what we were doing the kids were getting upset i was getting upset with the kids um and so we needed something to just bring it all together and it was in the middle of one of these lessons where i was trying to teach them how to design and we hadn't invested in styluses yet so we were using fingers on ipads and nothing was working and the kids were just getting all bent out of shape um so i just 
I did an elementary school countdown, but with the 3D software. It's like, you know, everybody just make a giant cube. It's just the biggest cube you can. And we're going to count down from 10 and we're just going to shrink this cube and make it smaller and make it smaller. And when we get to one, everybody will be nice and calm. And it worked. And the, and the kids were, they were awesome. They settled in and it was great. And I was really proud of them. So I printed out their cubes. And as I was popping them off the tray, I started to realize like, you know, this was their anxiety. They were, they were angry and they were mad and they were upset. And we ended up with this little teeny tiny cube that they could take with them. And, and I just, we really thought about that. How neat that we could translate feelings into physical objects that could then be manipulated and handled and just as a visual representation. Anytime your feelings start to get really big and out of control, just take this little cube out of your pocket. And that's where we, where we really started with um, linking therapeutic pr- purposes to 3D printing. But I should probably go back to why my kids need therapeutic uh, help. Uh, so I'm the director for a school inside of a children's residential center, which means my kids have all been removed from their homes. They're 99% of them are in county custody. Uh, they've either been removed from their home because the home environment is unsafe for them or they're unsafe for the home environment. Uh, our kids are a mix of children with severe behavior issues and juvenile sex offenders. So they carry significant amounts of trauma with them uh, and trauma informed education has been around for a while. It's nothing new, but we, we know what trauma can do to these kids. It, it can stunt them emotionally, physically, academically. So we have to be aware of all of these things as we're teaching them. Um, and they're, they're there for therapy. They, re, they receive intensive therapy. We get them for about three or four hours a day in school, depending on, on the behaviors that day. But it's an amazing environment to teach in because these kids, they need so much, but we're really able to connect with them. Uh, our company's mission statement is to build hope through education. And that's what we want to do is just give them a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, and, and build that confidence that they can learn and they can achieve and they can set themselves on a path for you know, a productive life. And we've really embraced that with the 3D printing technology. Um, I think there's a huge potential for um, like a skilled labor trade out of this, just to, to learn that they can, they can manipulate these products. They can take something from their brain and bring it into reality. And, and that sense of accomplishment is huge for these kids because they've, a lot of them have, have significant gaps in their education. They've missed a lot of school time, either they were in jail or they were on the streets or they just didn't go to school. So they don't have that, academic stamina. And our, our job is to build that. And the best way to do that is through success and taking something from inside your brain, solving a problem and producing an actual product is a great way to build that, that uh, sense of accomplishment. And what do you see from the kids when they first engage with the printer? Is it, do you start with design for first or do you kind of show them how like it, it builds a, a part layer on layer? What's kind of the hook that Most of them at least understand what a 3D printer does. They don't know how it does it, but they know they can, you know, download a design from a website and print out a toy or a statue or something. And that's usually our first start is, hey, you know what? Yeah, somebody else put in the time and effort to make this design, but watch how the machine actually works. And there is something hypnotic to watching that print head go and do that same motion over and over and over again. It's, It's so smooth the way it works. 
so that's where we like to start is introducing, you know, what is the filament? How does it work? How does the, the print head heat it up and the extrusion process? And then we get into the actual software and we, we kind of leave the machines behind after that because that's, it's, the machines are simply a tool. Uh, we use um, Tinkercad on iPads and that's our design process. And we usually do start with something simple like a cube or just a shape before moving on to uh, higher end projects. Uh, our latest one was uh, the slot car rally, which was really cool because we were able to differentiate for different kids. Um, the lower achieving kids and the younger kids, uh, their job was just to follow the design. You know, here's your diameter of your axle, here's your wheel, here's your body, and just create a car. Our older kids, we had them mess with different fill rates for the cars to make heavier bodies. And would that make it faster? Would it make it slower? Would it, you know, were your axles thick enough? Uh, so every time a car had a catastrophic failure, like a, a wheel fell off or an axle snapped, you're like, hey, you know, it's all right. You know, what went wrong? How can we fix this? And you just boot up your design, you make your axle thicker, you make your body lighter, whatever. It's a simple fix. Uh, our joke is that rapid prototyping gives us the ability to screw up at an exponential rate. And it's, and it's okay. This is how we learn. Uh, uh, I have a poster hanging up in my office that says, if at first you don't succeed, you're normal. <laughs> That's it. If it works on the first try, did it really work? <laughs> yeah. Or you just uh, have too low expectations. Um, so it's been a lot of fun just dreaming up ideas. Um, and that's, we're really making it up as we're going along at this point. We're, we're trying to set a curriculum, uh, but it's, the potential is so unlimited that it's, it's really hard. And that's part of the reason why I'm speaking with you today is I, I'm out there asking for help. Anybody who has any ideas, you know, I'll make sure you get my email address and uh, you can help me out and figure out how we can help these kids and potentially a lot more kids too. And one of the things that stuck with me from your talk at AMUG was I think as you were talking about the anxiety cube and kind of shrinking your anxiety down to, to that small shape and then printing it I think the idea of carrying I think you said something about kind of kids would put in their pocket and it's a it's a cube so it's gonna kind of hit you in the wrong way sometimes that you can mm -hmm. never I mean it, it may be smaller but it never goes away but it's kind of a reminder and, and yeah. that just really stuck with me in terms of connecting the kind of physical and emotional part of that and, and carrying with you not only knowledge you gained or situations you've gone through. And I imagine that's kind of impactful for these kids. It, it absolutely is because I, and I, this is something I shared on stage that was a, a huge admission for me is that, you know, a, a lot of our kids are survivors of sexual abuse and, and I am too. And it took me, it took me a long time to, to start to work through that in a, in a safe and appropriate manner. Um, I did all the wrong things and all the bad things first, and then finally started to get the help that I really needed. Um, so these things, you can, they can be manageable, but they don't go away. And that's, that was something that we talked about with the cubes is every now and again, that sharp little corner is going to catch you in the thigh and remind you that it's there, but it's okay because you're learning the tools to deal with that. You're, you're building the skill set that when those feelings pop up, they're not going to control your life. It is something that you can shrink down into something small and manageable and something that you have control over. Um, that's one thing that we've worked with our art therapist with is the idea of taking their feelings and translating them into 3D design. Uh, he used to have them work in clay and design their own little monsters. 
Um, so we're translating that to 3D design where you can kind of take it to the next level. If, if a kid is angry, maybe it's sharp angles and a, and a lot of, you know, spiky pieces. And if, if they're depressed, maybe it's low and it's blobby and it's gross, but they can print these things out. And then they have a physical representation of their feelings. Um, and my, my own therapist called it the, the Voldemort principle, when, when you won't name something, when you, you know, he who shall not be named, or you won't acknowledge something, you won't admit to something, but it's there, it controls you. It has control over your life. You will work so hard to not acknowledge it and not confront that, that it's really the one calling the shots. So when you admit something, when you give a name to your pain and you, you put it out there into the world, that situation starts to change. You take control over it. Now you're in the driver's seat and you're the one deciding how things move forward. So we really like the idea of them giving a shape to their trauma and to their pain and they could put it on their shelf and they could walk away from it for a little bit. And when you go back to your room, it's, it's still going to be there. It's not going anywhere, but you've learned that you can just close the door on it and walk away from it. And when you come back, you're facing it on your terms because you're the one that's taking charge. Um, and that was, a, that was a huge moment for, for me and my own personal growth. And then for our kids to realize that, yeah, you know what? This did happen. And these are things that I need to work through. And these are things that I can work through. And if we can teach them skills to deal with their trauma, build their educational background and almost teach them a trade all at the same time. It, it makes too much sense not to pursue. That's absolutely right. And, and it's amazing to, just to hear about kind of the, this connection between the physical and kind of design world. And I imagine too, kind of part of this uh, journey that these kids are on and you're, you're on is also about you know, that perseverance, the kind of grit to get over things like just speaking with the, the printers themselves and the design, right? It's not, it's not super intuitive why things go wrong all the, some of the time or even designing a, something like a cube. I mean, it takes skills to, to do that and, and to work through and, and learn that, that um, the payoff isn't always immediate because things go wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then being able to analyze why did this go wrong and what can I do next time to make sure it doesn't go wrong. That's a, that translates really well into real life too. And, you know, you're going to mess up. Things are going to go wrong. But if you just take that second, take that deep breath. All right. You know, like with the slot cards, literally, where did my wheels fall off and why, you know, you can, you can work backwards, take steps to make sure that never happens, acknowledge that it did happen and learn from it and move forward. It's, it's a huge life lesson and a great design lesson too. That ability to detach from kind of the emotional part of it, right. Is, is huge. I mean, no matter what, what you're doing and, and, and especially as this, I mean, even engineers working at Boeing and other people I've interviewed at Ford and whatnot here have gone through similar struggles in just the machine side of things that whether you're working on million dollar systems or systems that cost a few hundred dollars, I think some of those lessons kind of translate. Um, and, and as you kind of have kind of done different projects, I think another one you mentioned was uh, kind of designing eyeglasses, right? Can you talk a little bit about, about how that can? Yeah. yeah um, we've, we've really started to pursue um, restorative justice and restorative practices. Uh, it's, it's a huge 
buzzword in education, but in, in our particular setting, it works very, very well because we need conflict resolution. Our, our kids are, they're angry and they have really short tempers and they do tend to, to flip out on things that really, you know, aren't that big of a deal. Um, so we're always looking for ways that we can move past it, but productively and, and mend and build bridges and, and build connections. And restorative practices are a great way to do that. For whatever reason, a huge target between the kids when they get at, mad at each other are each other's eyeglasses. They'll snap off the, the arms or break them in half or just something ridiculous that they usually end up feeling awful about, but it's just in the moment, they, they don't have that control and it's an easy target. So we decided to bring the restorative practices into 3D printing where if you break somebody's glasses or you break your own, you have to help us 3D print a, a fix because it might be a couple of days before they can get them to the uh, eye doctor to get new glasses and they can't see, they can't read the board, they can't read their paper. And of course they'll use it as an excuse to not do their work. So uh, we wanted to, to kind of bridge all of that, get them back into school, teach them something and use the restorative practices to, to kind of close that wound. Uh, it's, it's definitely a work in progress. We're learning a lot through it because I mean, like you said, we're making it up as we go along. Like uh, we just now got calipers you know, maybe about two or three weeks ago, but you know, for measurements and uh, our, the one that I posted on LinkedIn, we completely forgot that there was a curve to the front. We didn't account for that. So we kind of had to wedge it in there, but it worked. And that was the important thing is that the kids can read, they can see now. And it's almost, they're not cool, but they're almost kind of cool because like they have something fancy off of the 3d printer. And of course we use the brightest color filament we could. Um, but it's, it's another one of those pieces where just everything fits in. They're going to learn how to 3d design something. They're still going to be able to see and do their work and they're using restorative practices to, to make it right. And that's another huge lesson in life is when you mess up, when you lose your temper, when you do something wrong, you, you have to make it right. And, we're giving them that outlet to do that. And with these approaches that you've taken with the printer, has it, have you seen a pattern in terms of what sorts of kids latch on, latch on to kind of the technology or is it across the board? Like, Hey, everyone's interested kind of what's the like uptake of. It's hit and miss. Um, the younger kids like the idea that they can just kind of print out toys or, or, you know, they can make a fidget spinner or something like that. The older kids are where it really starts to click that, you know, I can, I can make something with this. Uh, our very first printer was a, a flash forge desktop thing that I had tricked my boss into buying. It was like 300 bucks. Um, and our very first lesson was I had broken the spoke on the wheel of my lawnmower and I didn't want to buy a new lawnmower or a new lawnmower wheel. So I challenged them to come up with a way to fix my broken lawnmower wheel. And eventually they came up with the idea of a cast that we could print in two halves and snap it around the broken spoke of the lawnmower wheel and cement it. And it would support the thing. And, and that, that led us down the entrepreneurial road. Like, you know, you guys created a solution to a problem that I had, I would pay, you know, 15, 20 bucks for this cast to not have to buy a new lawnmower. Uh, and that's, that's something that we really want to pursue. Uh, hopefully starting next year is the entrepreneurial angle, find a problem, find a pain, come up with a solution and build a business around it. Uh, and we, we want to do that kind of across the board, like the younger kids, just the idea that you can take 
something from your brain and bring it into reality is huge. And then as they start to get older and a little more savvy with the technology, start using it to solve problems and start making money by solving those problems. And do you have plans to kind of engage the broader community with that as well, kind of outside of the, the school? Yeah, we, we've started with that a little bit. The pandemic kind of put the brakes on a lot of that stuff. It's the same problem everybody else has had. But uh, I've spoken with the Department of Youth Services, and they told me that any time a kid spends designing a product and creating a product that can be donated, we can consider that part of their community service. Um, which is huge because some of these kids come in, you know, needing 100 hours of community service to get off of probation and stuff like that. And a lot of times it's a matter of like raking leaves or mopping the floors or something. And it's, it's a service, but is it really servicing the community? Our idea was um, I, I'm on the board for a youth soccer league and I, I usually coach like the four or five year olds and, and it's, it's a ton of fun, but I spend most of my time tying shoes. So we came up with the idea of a little plastic clip that we could slide over the knot. It, We'll hold the shoelaces together for maybe two or three extra minutes, but that's two or three minutes that I can coach and not tie shoes. Um, so we're going to, once the season starts up in October, we're going to start cranking these things out and donate them to the league and it'll meet my kids uh, community service requirement and they're learning how to solve a problem. And it's actually making my life better. So it's kind of a win, win, win. Um, we are also in contact with the local rescue mission. Uh, we've been thinking about some, things that they need. Uh, we really want to start donating to them. A lot of my kids have been through rescue missions, you know, just as their, their lives obviously haven't been amazing so far. Um, so they know some of the needs. Uh, one kid suggested hooks that hang off the side of the bunk beds where you can hang a pair of shoes or just hang something because it's something that he needed when he was there. And he remembered that experience and he wants to solve that problem for somebody else down the road. And just thought that was super cool that, you know, to that empathy to know that, you know, I was in this position and when I was there, this is what I needed. Now I can create that and donate that to someone who will need it. Yeah. You were also mentioning kind of before we got on, on the show, some work that you're doing with the art director, the art teacher about uh, taking those, some of those monsters that people have created and translating those into kind of Dungeons and Dragons. So do you want to speak a little bit about that as well? Absolutely. We, we just started this. So we, we haven't, we don't have any hard data on it yet, but uh, we were, we used to run Dungeons and Dragons games. The kids could, could spend their, uh, we use class dojo as our, our uh, classroom management. You earn points for doing what you're supposed to do. They could spend their points on table time so that they could play Dungeons and Dragons. And they really liked it. Uh, there's a lot of social skills involved in that where everyone needs to work together on a goal. You know, no one has the complete skill set to do everything on their own. So it, it really felt fit well with the therapy. So we came up with the idea of taking that monster that they designed and they built and shrinking it down to tabletop size. And our art therapist will lead two or three kids through a campaign. It'll be an easy two or three hour campaign where they're going to have to work together to overcome obstacles but at the end, they and their friends are going to team up and defeat their monster. Um, and, and in therapeutic terms, vis visual images have a huge impact. They really stick with people and, and it's a memory that they can hold on to. So we're really excited about the idea of that monster lying down defeated and their characters standing over it triumphantly and knowing that, you know what, with help, with my friends, I can overcome these things and I can move past this. 
it'll be really, really powerful. Uh, and another side angle of that that we're trying to work is when a student leaves our building, the facility offers six months of aftercare. And a lot of that is to, to ensure continuity of care and with their new therapist to make sure everything lines up. But it's also just to kind of make sure that they're okay and that we know where they are. Uh, we've had several kids just drop off the radar and, and that's an awful, awful feeling to not know where these kids are, not know if they're okay, not know if they're continuing their therapy. So if we can kind of hook them in on a game of Dungeons and Dragons and get them to remote in to play with their friends and play with their therapist, even if very little therapeutic action goes on, at least we know they're okay. They're checking in with us and, and we know that they're safe. So that's, that's a, it's a side piece of that, but I, I really hope we can use that to keep in contact with some of our kids. And you've been kind of engaging with the 3D printer and the, the kids and the program for for a while now. So like, what's the, the biggest takeaway that you've learned over this period of time in terms of kind of either getting engagement or just life in general? What have you kind of, can you distill it down into one or two things? Uh, I learned how much I still need to learn. Uh, it's, it is basically an unlimited platform. You can pretty much do anything that you can dream of. Uh, and it's a little overwhelming when you stop and think of it like that. But when you present it to the kids in that manner, that you can do anything you can dream of, it's, it's really, really powerful. You know, find a problem, solve it, build a business around it, make a toy, make a toy that somebody else will want to play with. You know, just, uh, it's, it's unlimited opportunity. And I, I think that's what it really comes down to is we can, we can make the world a better place through the technology and we can make people better through the technology too. And I, I think that's, it's just a huge, huge takeaway. And what's your envision, like uh, what's your kind of vision for this? Like how, how would you envision if people want to get in touch with you and, and kind of help and support the mission? Like where do you want to take it? What's kind of the, the next steps? And, and... I would, I would like to see this grow out of my building and, really just kind of out of, out of my, I have two classrooms and a, basically a closet where we have the 3d printers and I get 40 kids at a time. I really want to see this expand. I think for any kid in crisis, any kid in need, uh, any kid in danger of dropping out, this is a great hook to get them into it. It's, it's, it can offer a career path that would be incredibly productive. Uh, it's so much more, they can open their own business. There's so much more. So I would really like to expand the education and the therapeutic angles to just as many kids as I can. There are so many kids in need. Uh, there are six of these residential facilities in my county alone. Uh, these kids are all over the country. Dropout prevention schools are all over the country. There are so many kids that are on the edge. And I feel like we can really use this technology to bring them in and kind of adjust their trajectory to something positive. Awesome. And well, uh, we'll post the, the links to the website and your email online, but is there any place else that you, or any ways that you prefer folks to get in touch if they want to help? Uh, email is the best way to get a, a hold of me. We'll make sure it's on there. Um, I have a LinkedIn profile now. It was really exciting to start that. Uh, I'd never had any social media account before this. And now I'm like, hey, look at me, I'm fancy. Uh, coming out of AMUG, a lot of people have reached out to me and there's been a lot of great support. Uh, I made a lot of good friends and a lot of good contacts there. Uh, it's an amazing industry. There are some, just some really great people in it. Uh, it was a tremendous experience to, with all the support that I received through this. Uh, uh, yeah, I could just go on and on about my experience there. Uh, but uh, email is the best way to get a hold of me. Fantastic. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your story. We'll get it out there. 
and encourage people to get in touch because I think what you're doing is amazing and any way that, that we can help and um, keep helping these kids and the work you're doing, um, love to do so. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. There's there's so many kids out there that could benefit from this technology. And uh, uh, we're at the beginning of growing this program, but I, I think it's something special. And I think we can really help a lot of kids out there. So anybody who's interested, come find me. We'll figure it out together. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Great. Thank you.